Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good. Good. I'm tired. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on this week. We have a bunch of stories that we want to talk to, updates on a lot of longstanding stories that we've been covering for months. Uh, So let's just jump right into it. Why don't we start with Eagle Tower? What's going on with Eagle Tower? It looks like it's finally going to get built. The State Building Commission signed off on another $1.4 million in funding for the tower. That basically puts it over the hump in terms of footing the bill for all the estimates that they've gotten back. And they said that construction could start as soon as late fall. So are we still looking at a proposal that includes a kind of a walkway to get up the tower, something that kind of goes into the tree line? Yep. This puts them in that like $3.4 million range in terms of funding for the overall project, if I'm reading the numbers correctly. I mean, I think they actually got a bid in August that got it to like two nine. I think this covers that and then a little more. So they've made some materials adjustments since that original plan, but now it will have that long ramp winding its way up. It won't be as tall as the old Eagle Tower. 60 feet is where it tops out. And for those who maybe don't know a lot of the backstory, what happened is when they deconstructed it in 2016, their original cost estimates that was thrown out there was like $750,000 to replace it. It was woefully inaccurate. Turned out that doing something that was ADA compliant was going to cost significantly more. And then they talked about a budget maybe of $1.5 million for it. That grew to two. And then once they put the bids out, that, that grew to almost $4 million. So what the DNR had tried to do is go back, change materials, bring the cost down, get more bids. It brought the cost down somewhat, but nothing close to the $2 million that was kind of on the table for funding for this, about one point two from the state and $750,000 from funds raised by the Friends of Peninsula State Park. So they went back to the drawing board with the building commission and they signed off on it. They found uh, funds from another project that came in way under budget and shoveled it over to Peninsula State Park. Great. So that's kind of cool. When was Eagle Tower officially taken down? How long has it been? I think it was 2016 that it was taken down. It was closed in 2015. So it's been four years since anybody's been able to climb to the top of Eagle Tower. Yeah, it's weird. It it doesn't feel like it's been that long at all. It feels like it's maybe been a year and a half. Just how Well, mainly that's because we're keeping it alive by talking about it constantly. (laughs) No, that's fair. Yeah, so that'll be cool. Uh, I've always been kind of excited about the project. There are a lot of people on both sides who, you know, say that the tower and the ramp is going to be really cool. And then there's people who, you know, wish that it could have just been rebuilt as it was. But I kind of am in the camp that I think that the walkway is going to be cool, getting to kind of go through the trees and stuff like that. Because, again, I'm envisioning, you know, educational opportunities, taking classes through there and being like, hey, you know, you could even stop in there and admire the birds and stuff because you'll be up in the tree canopy to an extent. Yeah, they, you know, the onus is just on the DNR now to just kill it with the project, like really 
when you're taking something that was this iconic structure and then you're replacing it with something different, it's sad that it has to go this way and it's expensive, but they just better deliver just an amazing product when, when it's all said and done. Right. And a product that for that price is a much better one than Eagle Tower. So you, like you said, in, incorporating some of these more educational elements and maybe there's more um, signage on there that tells people what they're looking at and, and everything. So, or overlooks in the process of that. So hopefully they come through. Great. Uh, anything else on Eagle Tower before we uh, move on? Uh, just that, yeah, like I said, the, the earliest possible start date for construction would be late fall. I would be kind of surprised at that unless they, maybe they're doing some site preparation, but it's kind of hard to mobilize, especially in this tight labor market to get something going that quickly. I would guess maybe next spring for potentially a late summer fall opening. That's all me speculating, but just kind of seeing how these projects go, that that'd be my best guess. Great. Yeah, I think it would be awesome to, you know, finally be able to go back to Eagle Tower after all of these yeah. years. I actually came across a picture the other day from before I was born with my dad, mom, and the first of my siblings <laughs> up on the top of Eagle Tower. And it was just pretty cool to see this picture from like 45 years ago of them standing in that spot that that I had then gone and stood in and so many times over the years. So a lot of family traditions can be picked up again. Another long-standing story that we've been covering for over a year now is the Door Hotel up in Sister Bay. Last time we talked, they, they had kind of laid out a time frame for when things could either start moving or, or not. And uh, are we at that point now? Nobody really cares about the Door Hotel. Let's just move on. Nobody wants to know anything about that, right? Okay. <laughs> um, there is one more meeting at the end of this month, October 29th. The Plan Commission in Sister Bay will review some final amendments to the development agreement that they have signed with uh, Chris Schmeltz for the Door Hotel. But it is pretty much a done deal. He executed the contract to purchase the property. He had a September 30th deadline for that. And the final amendments to that development agreement are basically, he had gone back to the village and asked that this deck that he had on the third story, I believe, instead of doing a rooftop deck, if he could enclose that and make it two more units, bringing, I believe the total unit count would be 44 units in the hotel. I might have that wrong. It might be 46 and two retail spaces. It will not alter the height or the, the look of the building other than that it just won't be a deck. It was a rooftop deck that did have a roof on it already, so it doesn't really change the, the look of the building. So plans are to break ground after Fall Fest. I think last time we had talked about this, Chris was looking into getting some grant money for this, and there was a deadline on that from what I remember. Yeah, uh, to, to my knowledge, that has not been decided yet. That's still in the process. I have not heard if he got the grant. That grant would be a Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation grant for $250,000. The Door County Economic Development Corporation kind of facilitated that. Again, it, that money would not come from the village of Sister Bay. That's not a handout from them. They did have to sign on to his application, but that is money that the state has allocated for projects that can show a workforce boost in it, and the Door Hotel developer has applied for that grant. If he gets it, it comes from a larger state fund, not any like Door County or Sister Bay handout. Gotcha. Project. Very cool. Uh, I also heard from the Wednesday podcast this week that representative from the door, I don't know if it's Chris or not, is going to be at Fall Fest to answer any questions that the community might Yeah, have. he's a brave man. Yeah, that's what I that's what I had heard. So, but uh, kudos to him. Like that is a difficult thing to do. A lot of developers like to hide behind maybe an attorney or 
an architect or a builder when they come through projects, I'll give Chris Schmeltz this. He is the guy at most of these meetings when I've been covering this in Sister Bay. Uh, that's not a given. And then, you know, going to Fall Fest and offering to, to be down there and answer questions is is uh, gutsy. Yeah, and um, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure he did that last year, too. Yeah, yeah so, Louise said he did, yeah. Yeah, right. and it, it definitely seems like he wants to be out in front uh, for the community and to really, like, you know, be transparent in that way. Well, he owns half the town now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he is an investor in the Marina View, the Door Hotel. He owns a small housing complex behind there, which is actually affordable housing that he expanded. So, you know, so people who have their problems with the Door Hotel and this developer and say, like, somebody should do something about affordable housing. And it's like, well, he actually has expanded the stock of seasonal and affordable employee workforce housing. Uh, he's also, I believe, involved in one other development kind of underway in the town. So I joke, but yes, he's invested a lot of money in the town, so it behooves him to be out front and take some arrows. Right. <laughs> if they start work on the hotel after Fall Fest, are they looking to be open for spring? My guess is that that would be a fall 2020 completion date at the earliest because the, the way a lot of villages like Sister Bay, they don't want you doing the construction over the peak summer months and just have like this major construction project going on in the middle of town. And this will be in that development agreement. And, and to listeners, I apologize for not having this at the ready, but it's probably something where you have to start after Fall Fest, get as much work as you can done before you know, the winter just makes it impossible to get more work done and then pick it up in the spring and then be shut down again. It might be Memorial Day weekend. Maybe it's end of June. I, I believe Marina View was doing work into June this last year. And then you'd probably have to pause again. And I, I don't think time-wise that's enough time to get that thing completely finished. Do we have the specifics on the development agreement and the pulse this week or online? Uh, not this week. So that final agreement won't be signed until the 29th. So there'll still be some changes, but as soon as that's done, we'll we'll put all the details in. Cool. So one more thing before we jump on the break. Uh, this is kind of just going off of some preliminary research that I've done. So if you have any more information about this, please do not hesitate to get in contact with me. You can email me at andrewk at peninsulafilmworks.com uh, or shoot Miles an email at miles at ppulse.com. But U.S. Cellular announced that they are bringing 5G connectivity to Sturgeon Bay. And... There are a couple of qualifiers that I think you kind of need to know uh, when it comes to this story. And again, this is just off of my preliminary research. But we had talked a while back on the podcast about 5G and how 5G getting rolled out to like campuses or major metropolitan areas usually are using a much shorter band frequency and they're delivering uh, incredibly fast speeds, like gigabytes up and down. Upload and download for those who aren't familiar. Yes, so uh, internet speed is measured in megabytes per second and I would say the national average is probably about 35. So if you're living outside of Door County or if you're up in Sister Bay or Sturgeon Bay and you get good internet, you're probably pulling 25 to 45 megabytes per second. 5G would allow you to bring like three to 500 megabytes per second, which is, you know, an incredibly fast speed. When I was in college, our campus internet was 100 megabytes per second, which is the fastest I've ever seen. But on 5G, you'd be able to pull up to five times that. It's it's very, very fast, but it's short range and you need line of sight connectivity. Uh, We've talked about this before. Uh, You can look it up if you want to kind of dig into the nerdy side of it. But what U.S. Cellular and and T-Mobile for that matter too are calling their 5G service is actually 
uh, 600 hertz spectrum. So it's on the 600 hertz side of the spectrum. The reach is much bigger. So it's more like what we have now with 4G reach. I think you get a couple miles of uh, connectivity from your tower. But the speed increases are not that much. I've heard like maybe 20%. So <laughs> when U.S. Cellular says that they're bringing 5G to Sturgeon Bay, you're not going to be able to step outside and download a movie in five seconds. You're going to get speeds that are probably a little bit better than what you have now. Connectivity that might be a little bit better in certain places than you have now. But it's not going to be a game changer in the same way that like major metropolitan areas are investing in 5G with these kind of short band relays. Hmm. Uh, again, that's all I know from like a, a cursory glance at the research. If you know more about the, the 600 band spectrum, uh, please reach out and let me know because I'm actually really interested in this. <laughs> uh, and I think that it could do some really cool stuff for Sturgeon Bay, but temper your expectations in terms of, you know, what you might actually be expecting. Yeah, I actually did talk to a good friend of mine who, who knows a lot about these technologies way more than me. I don't know much about like the details of how they work and just like the future of 5g because i was curious like well, is this going to solve the problem of, of internet access in the county um because obviously we're talking about it in terms of cell phones but it's it's much different for some people there's the hope that it can solve all their internet problems and the response basically like probably not no super super not actually yeah. uh 5g will not i mean unless you're living in Sturgeon Bay proper, I mean, at that point, you'd already have good internet. Uh, you're not going to see the benefits of this really anywhere north of Sturgeon Bay. Uh, if you really see any benefits to it at all, if it really is just kind of in that 20% better range. Yeah. And even like, say, five years down the road when 5G is rolling out all over the country, it's not going to be the solution in Door County. You're just not going to have enough of those nodes, the density for right. those companies to invest, to have the connectors on every single telephone pole to hit all these rural areas. So right. still searching for our golden goose here in yeah. North County. And, and honestly, I mean, we, in terms of internet, and we won't dig into it a lot because we've talked about it quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, uh, but really the, the the path forward for internet in Door County is laying more cables. Door County Brown Bad does a really great job of providing internet access to a bunch of people, but it you got to be able to hit the tower on the ground. So if you're in a wooded area, they're not going to be much help. So really, those are kind of the two pass forwards. A combination of that and laying more cables is really what's going to be the thing that brings us yeah. in. Yeah, unless there's some massive federal or state investment in laying cables for rural broadband. I mean, yeah, you just talk to so many companies like Charter, they're just not interested in hooking up outside of the, the dense core areas of the town, even though the fiber runs right down the highway. Right. There was talk at one point about like this this massive cable infrastructure 15, 20 years ago, Door County Economic Development Corporation actually did do a lot of work to try and recruit some companies in here to, to do that sort of thing. But And there were some really big promises made, but no promises kept. Yeah. Okay, why don't we take a break, uh, and then when we come back, we have uh, an update on the vote for the Redmond property in Gibraltar this week. It actually happened last night as we're recording this. Miles, you were there. That's uh, why I'm tired. And we'll, uh, we'll come back with uh, everything that you need to know about what went down last night. 
They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, Miles, uh, kind of set the scene. How many people showed up last night to vote on uh, on the Redmond property? I would guess, from my estimate, I didn't do an exact headcount, which I always try to do at these things, but it was the auditorium was a little too big to do. But knowing the number of seats that are in that lower bowl, about 400 people to 450 people showed up to hear the town's pitch. And, well... I don't know if they listened to the town's pitch, but they heard it. You've you've covered a lot of these meetings. How does this compare to some of the other big turnouts that you've seen? Uh, this is probably the biggest turnout of any single meeting I've covered. And also probably the most maddening meeting I've ever covered, just from an organizational standpoint. But yeah, there was a meeting for a vote of the electors in the town of Liberty Grove when the Gills Rock purchase was first brought forward 10 years ago. And that drew... Four to 500 people. It had to be held in the highway department <laughs> bay because they, they just don't have a space for that in Liberty Grove. And that was a pretty interesting look at democracy because like these town votes, for all the complaining that people do, I actually think it's a really cool thing that like, all right, this is one where you actually get to vote on major decisions or even not major decisions like the, uh, I don't think a, a bathroom is a major decision, but in town of Gibraltar, they get to vote on that. Right. Well, and it's cool to see people actually coming out for it. Yeah, they all show up, and it's like very direct democracy in action. Um, I think people should be kind of excited to go to these things because it doesn't happen all that often. Right. So uh, there were a couple of things that were voted on last night, but uh, the big one was probably the the Redmond property. Let's give just the two-second or the two-sentence summary of what that is for people who have never heard about it before or are listening for the first time right now. Uh, the Redmond property is a huge chunk of land in Fish Creek, kind of behind the settlement shops, right? And it connects through to the park that kind of goes under by not licked yet, right? It's yeah. kind of the overview. Shortest way, 195 acres above and below the bluff of the Niagara Escarpment that sits kind of behind Fish Creek, connects to the actual Fish Creek waterway, includes some forested area and some developable area. Okay, so break this down for me uh, as someone who wasn't there. What was the plan as presented at the meeting from the town? To call it a plan would be overstating it. I'm not trying to be mean to the town, but it wasn't like a here's exactly what's going to happen, here's what it will cost kind of thing. The property was for sale, and their option to buy it is for $2.15 million. And they, the impact on the tax rolls of that would be $20 per $100,000 of home value. So uh, somebody who owns a $300,000 house would pay $60 a year. And the town would then get access to this 200 acres and trails and things like that. What they've talked about doing is creating a park on the lower portion and preserving the watershed 
and then on the upper portion doing some kind of mix of commercial, educational, and housing. At some points, there's been talk of doing market rate housing and then mixed in with some affordable housing or attainable housing. And that would be between like the settlement shops and there's like a field next to the settlement shops. And that's where that would kind of all go with some places maybe back toward the bluff a little farther. It, it seems to me as like a layperson that what they were putting out was like, we want to buy this property and we'll do a bunch of stuff on it, but not necessarily having the specifics of that bunch of stuff kind of laid out, right? Yeah, they a lot of really vague stuff. I mean, Ken Jarowski from Cedar Corporation gave a presentation that he did a good job of, but I, even for me, I'm like, well, this isn't actually what they're voting on. They're not voting on this development. So I was actually surprised that the town brought all that forward and didn't just simplify it to say, here's a property. Do we want to protect this property? It could be used for X, Y, and Z, but we're not going to get bogged down in the details of that because we have no idea what those details might really work out to because the town might come back and say like, no, we don't want that. But do you want the property? That would have been the approach I would have favored if I were them because it's a lot for somebody who is a developer to come in and evaluate the merits of a potential development, especially one trying to fit a niche need like affordable housing. And then to determine whether or not it makes sense and what's the level of risk and everything, that's a heck of a lot to ask a whole room full of voters to decipher in a couple of hours. Like, it's just not going to happen. They were asking for the moon out of that room, and it didn't surprise me that the vote went 180 people against buying it, just 51 for. Right. When we've talked about these uh, more controversial, like, buying situations before towns, doing different things, buying different things, going to vote. I feel like we've tried to kind of ride the middle line and try to give as much context as, as possible. I feel like on this one, you and I were both kind of excited about the prospects of it and seemed like it would be a good idea, but the community pretty overwhelmingly said that they were against um, that in this case. In, in talking to a lot of people who voted against it, a lot of the votes against were, one, the confusing nature of the presentation and not really knowing what the town was trying to do with it, Maybe some people wanted the property, but didn't want to see a housing development there. So they felt like they were voting against a development, not necessarily buying the property. Some totally want to see that property preserved, but think like the land trust should do it. And then there's a, a large subset of people who just said, really want to buy this property, but I don't trust this board to do the right thing with it. Right. And so there's a mix of things. Like I would bet that top of my head, in talking to a lot of different people and trying to call a lot of different business owners over, over the last several months, that vote is probably closer to 50-50 just based on the people who don't trust the town board to execute it. Right. Do you think that had things been different in terms of the way that uh, a couple of the previous things have gone, I'm talking like the Fish Creek bathrooms at the beach and the, the power lines and stuff like that, do you think that if those things were received a little bit better that this vote could have turned out a little differently? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the things in meetings like this is, do the people trust that things are going to be executed effectively? And you build that over time and you build it over years. And when you've had the number of controversies that the town of Gibraltar has had, where even things that shouldn't be that complicated, when, when a bathroom becomes a very complicated thing, when the food truck situation becomes really complicated, 
when some people would say like that's a relatively easy thing for a, a food truck on somebody's own property like to figure that out and when other towns don't seem to have any issues with those types of dis- I mean Sister Bay built a bathroom with not a second word of controversy or debate on that there are food trucks in other towns with no controversy everything in the town of Gibraltar seems to be a controversy other towns have built parking lots with very little controversy town of Gibraltar didn't notify neighbors when they built a parking lot. That alone, just a common courtesy. I'm sorry if I sound like I'm slamming the town because these are good people. They're whelming people. Yeah. But there's been so many missteps that you can see when you come to them with a 200-acre property at $2 million, you can see why people said, no, I just, you haven't earned it. Right. Even though they want the property. Yeah, and it's not to say that the property shouldn't be purchased by the town. It just is one of those things where you've got all these different situations that kind of really had an impact on it. Yeah. I don't think there was an ad hoc committee formed. There was talk of that. I never saw a presentation by an ad hoc committee. I think it all came through the town board, which again is not, you know, in Sturgeon Bay, as they're reinvestigating the waterfront, they formed an ad hoc committee with a couple of council members, but also mainly getting, you're reaching out to get a bunch of other people's input. And that way you also have a bunch of other people as ambassadors talking to people about the project that aren't just board members, so it doesn't feel like a top-down thing. Sister Bay did their waterfront the same way. They had an ad hoc committee that got a lot of different input. In this case, it just didn't follow a lot of those kind of, I would say, best practices in that sense. It was presented in a somewhat confusing way. For example, at last night's meeting, the only image of the property that was available was on an easel at the front of the room for 450 people to walk past or something. And it was a topographic map of the property. There were no pictures of the property that they were proposing to buy. A lot of people in that room have been on it. A lot of others have never been on that property. There's no pictures of the creek. Nothing to kind of get people to visualize what what might be down there and what they were looking at buying. None of that was in the slideshow either. So there was no context setting. So it didn't surprise me that that people voted no. But... Those are all parts of it, but a, a lot of the talk was just all about like affordable housing, whether that was the right place, which is a discussion we've he- heard in other towns too, whether the town should be in the business of providing affordable housing or even investigating this. There's actually some debate about that. Like, And then even whether or not people who can't afford a house should even live in the area. That was actually something that several people brought up last night. Hmm. Disappointing. I know I talked to other people in, in my age and income bracket and there were a lot of people walking out there somewhat dejected of, with a feeling of, wow, I didn't realize how much animosity there was toward people like me. Sure. <laughs> that was something I was hearing walking out of that room. And we're talking about like young professional families, two income families. And there was a lot of talk about like, oh, these people just want a handout. They want our tax dollars. They can't keep up a home. <laughs> talking about like it becoming like a ghettoized area. It was... It was pretty off-putting from some of those speakers. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or if we talked about it right after the podcast, but we had mentioned how, like, there there was an opportunity for a couple hundred houses to be built on this property. And how many was it? There's 580 buildable lots. Okay, so if they, like, even if they did 300 houses, like if they made it like a big neighborhood back there, did 300 houses and you were able to fill all of them, that's... 300 families potentially that's 600 adults and you know another you know three to to 600 children that would be 
working in the county, that would be paying taxes in the county, that would be sending their kids to the county. Every student that uh, goes to Gibraltar, Gibraltar gets more money because it's based on um, how many students you have. It would change a lot of things. It, yeah. it would it would really, I mean, almost in a certain way, kind of shift the population density in the county. Yeah. If, if you were to build, you know, 300 houses in Fish Creek. Which is a, a really good debate that probably should have been had last night, which I, I'm surprised that didn't come up. But just like the town talked about basing their numbers for some payback on the property on building 291 units, which... I was surprised more people weren't just like, wow, that's crazy. We don't want 290 units. It wasn't that they talked about that. They, they were talking about, all right, can you really build that? When would it actually happen? And would we actually get the payback on it? That was the debate that was had, which is also a valid one. But I, w- I was a little surprised given that how much people freak out about any two-unit development in North County, right. um, that people weren't freaking out that the town was just even proposing that they would even use 290 Right. Um, so what happens from, from here on out? What happens now that the, the vote went the way that it did? So that option still exists. It expires in June. So they still have the option to purchase. They could go back and try to renegotiate something else with the, with the seller. They could again try to split it up, although I've been told by people close to the situation that that's a no-go. But people always say that before it is, you know. Maybe the town gives up on it. Knowing the town, I w- I'd be surprised at that. But I don't think this board could come back and pass a proposal. I, I don't think it. I don't think it's something where people would say like, "Oh yeah, just come back to us with something better." I really think either it would take somebody fresh looking at it, or or a, some board turnover, or some sort of committee, or or independent group advocating for it and bring forth an idea. But I wouldn't be surprised if the town didn't try to come back with it again. If the town doesn't go to vote again, uh, or if they do and it doesn't pass and the option runs out, uh, a lot of people have been, you know, calling for the Door County Land Trust to purchase the property. If that doesn't happen, it's basically, you know, up for grabs again, right? It goes back on the market. And then we could be looking at a situation where it's purchased privately and developed into, you know, whatever the developer wants to develop it into. How long has the property been on the, the market, do you know? In its present form, I, th- I think about 10 years. It hasn't sold. Of course, that means it went on the market at the bottom of the market. Right. So those first five years, you can almost entirely discount because <laughs> our property values in the county as a whole only just recently are coming back to where they were at the peak. It's taken a long time for it to recover. Tad Gilster, who happens to be the real estate agent for this property, for the seller, but years ago, he had told me that when they actually look back at, like, the Depression era, it took, like, 30 years for property values in Door County to return to their pre-crash levels from 1929. And so, I mean, it, it came back a little faster this time, but it, it's still, like, 13, 14 years. But now you have, like, such a dearth of, of units available that, and, and the market's been kind of hot up here. So there might be a developer who comes in now just by by nature of that, and trying to beat the next drop. Or somebody might just wait till the bottom falls out and try and pick it up cheaper. You know, th- that's that's a lot of speculation. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, things don't get developed until somebody drives by and decides they're going to get developed. I mean, Chateau Hutter has sat there for years. If that owner tomorrow decides, you know what, I need to unload it, 
I just want the cash. Well, now it's suddenly developed, even though people would say, oh, that hasn't moved in 50 years. Why, why would we do anything to protect it? Yacht Harbor Shores in Sister Bay, um, just north of JJ's, that property was empty for years until somebody bought it and built condos, hotels in order. Thumb Fun was an amusement park for families for 50 years until it wasn't, and then it was condos. It's really hard to speculate on when something might be developed or, or not. There were some other votes last night too, right? Uh, they voted on a bonding issue. We, we don't need to get into the details of that, but... Um, if you're curious about the outcome, it's up on the, the Peninsula Pulse website, right? Yeah, it will be tomorrow. We are recording on... Is it Thursday? We're recording on Thursday, Thursday, so it will be, be up, up tomorrow. It, yeah. I probably sound very frustrated. It was almost entertaining at the meeting last night. And it is democracy. People come in and vote. The plan had a lot of flaws. Someone totally justified in voting against it. The plan had a lot of hope. Someone's totally justified in voting for it. And the, the only thing that, that really was a little disappointing was some of that, that talk about not helping neighbors. You know, yeah. like not really, you know, because I know a lot of these people and a lot of these same people who complain that we don't have enough nurses or home health care people to take care of their parents or their spouse or that we don't have enough quality people to serve on our boards or that they can't find a plumber. We'll complain about that in one meeting and then the next day say, well, people who don't have that money shouldn't shouldn't be living in, in beautiful places like this. You don't have a right to live here. and no, you don't have a right, but as a society, we can decide we want tradespeople to actually be able to live in our community and service people. I mean, we have a huge gap in uh, the the hospice and on home health care and, and home hospice nursing and that the whole medical infrastructure here and, and keeping people and to service a, a really old community. And last night was a room full of, sorry, but there were probably 15 people under the age of 60 there. So a lot of those people are going to need those younger workers to service them in, in their needs as they grow older. And that lack of recognition of the um, hypocrisy and some of those wants versus some, some of the willingness to help, it was disappointing. And, I, and I, you could see it on the faces of some of the people leaving that they were pretty disappointed in as well. Yeah, and that's the, the thing about that, like what you just said, is that with, with an older community up here, we need, we need people to come in and kind of, you know, take care of things. We need people to work in our retail shops. We need people to work in the service industry. We need people to be nurses and teachers and all these kind of things so that uh, people can enjoy what they're up here for, right? The tourism uh, kind of feeds into the economy up here, and then people who live here uh, get to reap the benefits of that. But even beyond what you're just saying, like if, you're, uh, if your whole thought is like, I, I want people to come in to be able to take care of me, uh, the other part of the the other side of the coin there is like we need young families to move up here so that there are future generations of this. Like if your thought process is like, hey, Door County is mine, and when I'm gone, I don't care what happens to it, or I want to be the last generation that lives up here, then I mean that's that's wild just on its own. But like you you really should think of yourself as a, a caretaker of this space and make sure that we're continuing to bring new generations up here to enjoy it. I mean, there's a reason why you're here, right? You yep. came up here because you love it and, and you want to be up here, so why not make it so that the next generation can do as you've done? Uh, and, and that doesn't just mean that, like, you know, I worked my butt off so that I could afford to live up here in my retirement. It's like a community can't just be that. It can't just be uh, retired folks who come up here to live during their retirement because then it's like, well, then there's nothing else. You know yeah. what I mean? So 
at the very least, think about the next generation. Uh, pass on what you love about this place to to young families who come up here and, and start thinking about affordable housing from a mindset of like, these are the next generation of people up here who are going to enjoy this place that I love too. And these are not handouts. Like I, I think I said this earlier, but any of these affordable housing proposals, they're not asking people to just live without paying rent or these aren't housing projects. These aren't unemployed people. We're talking about people who have jobs, who have incomes, who there just aren't homes. We've talked about this on the podcast. There aren't homes under $250,000, $300,000 on the market that aren't huge money pits. There's very few of them, and they're getting snapped up, a lot of them, for Airbnbs. And so you're losing rental home mar market share and the actual like affordable housing market or homes are, are getting snatched up. And Angela Sherman put this really eloquently last night when she spoke. Angela Sherman, uh, a former employee of ours here at The Pulse and a uh, school board member for the, for the um, Gibraltar School District, was saying, I'm, I'm sick of watching all my friends have to leave. At best, they're moving to Sturgeon Bay. And worse, they're moving to far-flung places. They're moving to different cities. They want to be here, but they can't find a house. And when one comes on the market, they're fighting with their friends for it. Uh, and then a lot of times, then it's just a, a massive money pit fixer-upper. So what we're talking about doing is like taking two income households with two full-time workers and saying, hey, can we put something together that we can control the, the developer and say, here's exactly what you're hired to build is for this subset of the population. And no, it's not, it's not even 50 or something. It's like, let's get 10 of these in five different towns and we've made a huge dent in it. Um, and now on the flip side, there were some people there last night who talked about, hey, I'm down for this. I want to do that. But there should be a different property that's cheaper than this one. And let's explore that, another option. And that's fair. I'd also like to see those people actually come forward and, and do that legwork. Right, because like, you, you can know, only say not here so many times yeah. before it's like, well, we've checked everywhere else. Like I, I, would, <laughs> I would love her, whenever somebody comes forward with something, there's all these people who say, well, not there, not there. Well, at some point, it's on the people who are saying no. If they, they want to put their money where their mouth is, okay, you provide an answer then. Because this is a group that said, all right, we're going to do some research and we're going to come up with an option. And you can't blame them for doing that. Put them all up on Washington Island. I mean, as frustrating as the meeting was, <laughs> and as frustrating as whatever flaws it might have, like that is a board who said, hey, affordable housing, it's a huge problem in our county. We're going to try something. And I applaud anyone who tries something. Sure. Because too many people have just put their hands up or said, somebody should do it somewhere else. Like that's not, that's not helping. That's not even lifting a finger. Right. Well, Miles, I think that's just about going to do it for us this week. Uh, get some rest this weekend. It's been a long week of news. It's been a lot of meetings to cover. I ain't getting any rest. It's Fall Fest, boy, baby. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to just party all your cares away? I am. I'm, hey, it's Fall Fest. It's fun. All right. I mean, that's a different way to rejuvenate, I suppose. Yeah. Well, have fun at Fall Fest. Uh, I'm going to be out of state for this weekend, so uh, it'll be the first Fall Fest I've missed in three years. Well, I pity point. you. I know it's gonna. I'm not gonna have to drive through all the traffic or anything. Like that. It's <laughs> gonna be. It's gonna be heartbreaking. But uh, I look forward to talking to you again next week. All right. Thanks, Andrew. For more Door County news, interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at DoorCountyPulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast.